Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. I'm one of the co-hosts of the podcast. I go by the name of Kyle Dabra. What up, everybody? Kevin Valentin over here, the other 50% of the podcast. Kyle, what's up, my boy? Had a nice little vacation, a little week off from the from the show. Tell yes. me about your day, bro. Tell me about your trip. Yeah, man. It was lit. I loved every second of it. Um, went to New Mexico for a couple of days, and it was just nice not to be constantly looking at my phone the entire time, just with constantly getting berated with just like text, emails, phone calls. Like it was just nice to get away from all that for four or five days. Went to this little place called uh, Mills. There's a Canyon about like five, 10 minutes away from town and just camped down there for like three, four days. It was awesome. I loved it. The weather was nice. Uh, the kayaking was really cool, especially like where one of the rivers runs through the Canyon. I believe it's the Canadian river. It goes right through there. Like the river just goes right along the Canyon wall. It's got some really good pictures. Just all in all had a great time. So I went with um, my boy, Kevin, I used to work with. Um, I went with him, his wife, Peyton, and one of her friends, her name was Amy. And it was just fun. I loved all of it. it was, I, To be honest with you, like I wouldn't mind going back there within a couple of months before the end of the year, just because I love that place. And I definitely needed a quick reset, just a quick recharge the batteries. Now I'm here. So let's just get to it because I'm here. Oh, hell yeah, bro. Happy you got a nice little reset. Funny how your friend is Kevin and his wife is Peyton, my favorite. I'm just, you know, that's why I throw it out there. You can't get away from me, homie. You just can't. You there, there is one thing, though, that I do have to talk about with this trip. And, and Kevin and I kind of talked about it before we started recording. <laughs> so, so check this out. So the first night that we get there, we're making uh, fajitas for dinner. And fajitas are done. Everybody's sitting down. Everybody's eating. And I look up in the sky and I notice there's like these, these like white lights that are in the sky. And some of them are like pretty close to each other. And some of them are kind of like, equally spread apart and these are not stars and they're moving across the sky so the first like three or four minutes go by after seeing it for the first time it goes away so i was thinking it was like okay you know it was weird i've never seen anything like that before but I'm like it's whatever it's like a, once a, I didn't even think really that much of it so i go back to eating my fajitas and i look back up in the same spot in the sky and i notice now like there's like a bunch of these things in a line moving across the sky. 
and I've never seen anything like this before. And I'm listen. I think that the whole UFO thing kind of like is interesting to me. I'm not like going down rabbit holes to like figure out like what it what's what it what it's about, but I just kind of find that stuff uh, interesting. And this was honestly like what I thought was like my first like UFO type experience, simply because I've never seen anything where you look up in the sky and you see all these white lights moving across the sky really fast and not making any noise. And mind you, like there were like two separate lines that we saw. There was one that lasted like three or four minutes where there were maybe 15 or 20 of these things moving across the sky. And then the second time it was about damn near 10 minutes. And in that line in particular, it was probably somewhere around like 50 to 75 of these things moving across the sky from like East to West. And then it happened the next night that we made dinner around the same time. And then it happened the last night that we were staying there. So I, I remember like we were talking about it because I'd never seen anything like that before. And I didn't rule out the possibility that it could be UFOs. But when I saw it happening for like the second and third night in a row, I was thinking it just looks like some like big satellite convoy. And then I remember when I finally got cell phone reception and pulled over at a gas station, I just started looking up like satellite convoys on Google. And what I think what we saw was um, SpaceX satellites because SpaceX has this, I don't know if it's like a satellite program that they've been doing for like maybe the last year or two, but there's been a lot of like reports of seeing like these huge line of satellites moving across the sky, not just in the United States, but across the world for like the last couple of years or so. And I think it has a lot to do with what we saw this, this past weekend. I think it was just SpaceX satellites, but it was really, really interesting because I've never seen satellites lined up like that before. I've seen satellites one or two kind of spread out going completely different directions, but never in a line. And some of these were actually really close to each other. So I thought it was really cool to see. And uh, it's just kind of, it's kind of ironic. Like we were in New Mexico and like New Mexico has like one of the most like iconic UFO stories in Roswell, New Mexico that took place like, I don't know, like 70 years ago where there was like, there was like supposedly this, um, they picked up some sort of alien craft that crashed into the, into the desert out there. But I just thought it was ironic. Like I'm in the one state, like where like you have like one of the most iconic UFO stories ever and now i see like a bunch of satellites moving across the sky and i have no idea what it is but so, i mean full, full disclaimer everybody this may or may not be kyle we have not gotten a factual backup check or you know we haven't been able to prove his actual existence um he may or may <laughs> not have been kidnapped he may or may not have been hypnotized he may or may not have been probed i'm just i'm just throwing it out there i don't know if this is kyle we'll figure it out by the end of the episode just throwing it out there for everybody's knowledge but it, I mean, other than that, that was that was cool to see, especially that we saw it three straight nights. But everything else, I just it was a great vacation. But ready to get back into the swing of things. And uh, Kevin, I'll uh, lay out the agenda for what we got for today. So we'll go over Jalen Brown being out for the rest of the season. He suffered a torn ligament in his wrist. So the timetable on his recovery is going to be somewhere in between three to six months. So it's not only just a regular season that he's out for, he's out for the playoffs entirely. So we'll talk about how that impacts Boston's playoff chances now that he's out of the lineup. We'll also kind of talk about the NBA play-in tournament situation. 
So what Kevin and I are going to do is pretty simple. We'll pick one team from each, from each conference, and we'll basically say why we think that team could make some real damage if they were to get out of the play-in tournament and into the playoffs in just a week and a half from now. We'll also talk about Steph Curry. He just continues his rampage across the entire league. It's absolutely clicking this past weekend. I wasn't here, but when I saw the, one of the stat lines that popped up when I got cell phone reception from my vacation, I saw that he dropped 49 points in 29 minutes against the Oklahoma City Thunder the other day. It was just absolutely insane seeing that highlight reel of what he was doing against them. So we'll go into just Steph's overall season, and I know Kev's probably going to make – a pretty compelling case on why he, Steph Curry is going to be or should be this year's MVP. And then we'll kick it over to Major League Baseball for a little bit. We'll talk about the Yankees. The Yankees have been on a pretty good run the last two weeks or so. So Kevin's definitely going to touch on that. And then we'll round out the episode with a little bit of football news. We'll talk about DK Metcalf's performance in a hundred, a hundred meter dash against possible Olympic runners. And it's just kind of odd seeing a NFL receiver go essentially toe-to-toe with some of the fastest runners in the United States. So we'll talk about that a little bit. And then we'll talk about Eric Fisher, who is the former offensive tackle for the Kansas City Chiefs. He signed with the Colts this weekend. I know Kev's probably got some things to talk about with that since that Colts are his team. And we'll talk about that to round out the episode. But like I said at the top, We'll talk about Jalen Brown being out for the rest of the regular season, tore one of his ligaments in his wrist. So he will be not only out for the regular season, but he's going to be out for the playoffs as well. Kev, Jalen Brown has been one of the most instrumental players for Boston this year. He's a great two-way player, one of the best in the league in that regard. His ability to score and his ability to play solid defense from beginning of the game to the end of the game is going to be sorely missed going into the playoffs for Boston. So, Kev, just let me get your thoughts on what do you think the chances are that the Celtics can make it into the playoffs and possibly um, could they even get out of the play-in tournament now that he's out? I mean, uh, bluntly, I think the Celtics' ship has been sinking the last week or so. I mean, Boston has not been playing well as of the last couple of days. Um, If I'm not mistaken – I'm pretty sure Boston is on what, like a four or five game skid right now. Excuse me. They're on a two to three game skid right now. I misread. I apologize. Um, and they're just, you know, they're solely relying on Jason Tatum. I mean, it, it, it's hard. And and Jason Tatum has been kind of carrying the load alongside Jalen Brown and, and, and the loss of this man, like Kyle said, probably their best two way player on the team and one of the best in the league. So you're losing just under 25 points a game. He's scoring 24.7. Six boards, 3.4 assists, shooting just under 49% from the field and a a hair under 40% from the three-point line. It's hard to replace that. And for someone to have to step up and and do what they have to do off this very thin Boston bench is is a tall task. And, I mean, the Eastern Conference playoffs, they're heating up in the next couple of days. I mean, we're we're on the tail end of the season about maybe four or five games, depending on what team we're looking at here that's left in the regular season. Um, Obviously, Boston is currently sitting at the seventh seed. Charlotte right behind them uh, by two games in the eighth. Obviously, Washington one game behind uh, them with the ninth seed and the Pacers half a game. 
behind the Wizards. So, I mean, like, the final four seeds are relatively within three and a half games of each other, and it's just going to get crazy. So the play-in tournament, if I'm being honest, I don't think Boston comes out of that. I don't think Boston – I don't think Boston gets away from the play-in tournament because they're going to play Miami, who is two games ahead of them tonight. And I think with the loss of Jason, of Jalen Brown, I really think that Miami's going to take it to them. Uh, Miami won their matchup earlier this weekend, I believe, at a score of like 130 to like 124 or something like that, really close. But uh, Miami was able to hold them off. And Miami's been playing really well as of late. Seven and three in their last 10. Obviously, Boston being four and six in their last 10. And now their loss of one of their star players. I just don't see Boston having enough in the tank unless we talked about it before the episode. Unless we get like 40 to 50 points from Jason and we see UConn, Kemba Walker. I just, I don't know if Boston's going to have enough to make a dent in this postseason, let alone make it out of the play in. I just, obviously, uh, the Hornets have LaMelo ball back and they have a, a pep in their step as of late. Uh, and obviously the, the Washington Wizards are one of the hottest teams in basketball right now. They're just, they're seven and three in their last 10. Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal are just playing out of this world. They're putting up my player-esque numbers in their last couple of weeks. So, I mean, the two of them together is a scary combination against anybody. And we'll get into that in a minute. But uh, in regards to Boston, I genuinely don't believe that they're going to find a way to come out of this play on uh play in tournament and i don't think that they even come out of it to be honest yeah i think this this jalen brown injury just kind of encapsulates boston's season in a nutshell here it's just been a struggle the entire season for boston and i'm gonna be 100 percent honest with you i don't i don't think they have any shot to get out of the play in tournament i just i don't see it here and when i when i look at this team i remember we talked about this a couple of weeks ago they needed jason tatum and jalen brown to consistently score to keep Boston competitive in a pretty solid Eastern conference. And they were able to do that. And then obviously now we got Jalen out of the lineup with his wrist injury. And I just don't know where they're going to be able to, to get the points from. They could maybe look to Evan Fournier to maybe try to replace some of the production that Jalen Brown brought to the team He's while he was on the roster. So subpar though. Since but, they got him. I will say this. He did have a game. I want to say last week when I was on vacation, where he did drop 30 points. So I don't necessarily think that offensively they're going to be so anemic that they can't score. I think they're still going to be able to score a decent amount of points. It's just that defensively it's going to be on the other end. It's it's just going to be really tough because look, they gave up 130 points to Miami just a couple of days ago. I mean, don't get me wrong. Miami's a really solid team, but 130 that's a lot of points for Miami to score in one game. They gave up over 120 to the Bulls. They gave up almost 130 to the Trailblazers. They gave up 140 against the Spurs at the end of April. Granted, that was an overtime game, but still, you're giving up a lot of points in the process here. And that's Unless, with Jalen in the roster. And with Kemba. And with Kemba, Kemba's great that he's a defensive liability for the most part, but he could go out there and score. It's just this team does not have those knockdown shooters like Brooklyn has. Brooklyn's only there simply because they have Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving. Those guys are all knockdown shooters. Boston has a couple in Jason Tatum. Kemba is decent in spurts, but he's been inconsistent this year. And Jalen Brown, outside of Jason, was the most consistent player for this Boston team. 
and now that he's out of the lineup, I think it, I think it could really mess up the chemistry here. I think that they could still be a competitive team in the plan. I don't think they're going to get absolutely scorched in the games that they could potentially play in in that play-in tournament, but it really does look like Boston season is going to end pretty early this year. And it sucks because I really do think that this is a good team as far as like the top end of the roster goes. It's just the back end of the roster really is weak. And that's something that I think it's, it's, it's just crazy. Yeah. Cause when you really, when you really look at it, the playing situation, if it ends today, Boston would face new Orleans, excuse me. I'm so these habits, Boston would face Charlotte and Washington would face Indiana. If we're just looking at it blow for blow, I don't know if Boston has enough firepower to combat Miles Bridges, uh, Gordon Hayward, and uh, uh, LaMelo Ball coming back, and even Terry Rozier. They're just they're playing very good team basketball. Obviously, they, they, they're 5-5 five and five in their last 10, but since, La, it, it, since LaMelo's been back, they just have a, a different little, like a buzz, like no pun intended. Or, or like an electric little spark because he just brings that intensity. I mean, they were just – he just played his brother last night or two nights ago, and him and Lonzo were going at it. Yeah. Just the kid is very poised for the position that he's in, and I think that um, Charlotte being in the position that they're in uh, and Boston being in the trending downward position that they're – I just see – you know, I see, I see the, I see the Hornets kind of taking that 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 position from them if it were to end today. Yeah, it's just, I don't know what Boston's going to be because, like, like let's let, let's say this, just let's just say it for hypothetical purposes here. Let's say Boston loses that seven eight matchup against Charlotte. They would more than likely have to play the Wizards because I think the Wizards, if they were to play the Pacers in that nine ten series in that nine ten matchup. I think the Wizards beat the Pacers. And I'll be honest, I don't think really anybody wants to go up against the Wizards right now because have you been watching what freaking Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal have been putting on night in and night out? I mean, Russell's going out there and getting 15-plus rebounds and assists almost on a nightly basis. You got Bradley. I think like five, six games, he's averaging like I think 20 something, 15 and 15. It's ridiculous. Bradley Beal just dropped 50 the other day when Russell scored, I think like 30, 30 plus. 33, 15, and 19. These are just mind boggling numbers here. Video game numbers. If those guys are averaging 80 points between the two of them, Boston, there's no way that Boston can compete with that. Even, and that's if Boston plays somewhat decent defense and their defense has been shaky pretty much the entire season so Jalen's their best defender and he's a guard he would have to guard either Bradley or Russell and they don't have him anymore with Kemba being the liability that his is I think Russell goes off oh yeah Russell could go out there and get 40 against Kemba if he wanted to but he would do more to kind of get some rebounds get some assists get some guys open for some good looks so it would really kind of be all dependent on what Russell would want to do against that matchup against Kemba but I just don't think it's in the cards for Boston this year I think if they make it out of the play-in tournament, it's probably the best that they're going to get because after that, they're either going to have to play the Nets or the 76ers. And that's going to be a sweep. Really? Yeah. It's a sweep. Either way, it's a sweep. They'd be lucky to win one game against those teams. I don't think they get one. James Harden comes back this week. Um, Philly is fire on all cylinders on an eight game win streak. No shot. And I don't like being negative. 
I really don't. No, I don't. It, I don't either. I like to be optimistic in certain senses, but when you lose your best defender and your second leading scorer at the literal end of the year, bro, that's like that's like you have a patch on your tire on a road trip, and you're legit maybe like a couple of miles away, and you the, the, the tire goes flat, like the, the, there's no air left. Mm-hmm. What else can go wrong for them? Kemba's been in and out of the lineup all year. He hasn't been producing since he's been on Boston. Jason Tatum is shouldering the load alone. Tristan Thompson looks like a waste of a signing. And the list goes on and on. The defense is just not there. Brad Stevens' job has been put into question this offseason. Maybe he's on the hot seat or not. Danny mm-hmm. Ainge has been put into question for all of those acquisitions or lack thereof with the trades and the draft picks that they've had over the last five years. Boston has just basically like self-imploded. If we're being honest, this last season. Last year, they were in a great position to go out there and, and uh, you know, go into the Eastern Conference Finals, and they just they, they couldn't do it. Yeah, and you look at some of the and you look at some of the departures. Gordon Hayward, he was he was okay for Boston. He was inconsistent though in his time there, but he's having a resurgent year in Charlotte. And I will say that I didn't actually mind the Evan Fournier trade back in what was it two back months in March. Ago? Yeah, it was like two months ago. So I, I didn't necessarily mind that that trade. It just really hasn't panned out the way that I thought it would for Boston. It's just I think they made that move simply because I think that they thought that like the defense is just not going to be that good this year, and we're going to have to get the offensive production from somewhere. And yeah, Fournier is a up. decent option to score when he was when he was with Orlando. He was a great scorer for them, really between him and Vucevic. So yeah, they were they were, they were great. So it just really hasn't translated over. Uh, in Boston, and I, it's just going to be a really tough hill for Boston to climb here. And I just, I just don't think it's in the cards for them this year. And I hate being that negative, but that that's just the reality of how I see it. Yeah, no, there's not. It, excuse me. In that case, it's not necessarily negativity. I mean, I don't think they. Even if Jalen was on this team, I don't think they're going to combat the top three seeds in the West and the East. Excuse me. They might get a game or two because of the firepower of Jason Tatum and Jalen, but there was no way they're beating it, Brooklyn or Philly in a seven-game series. So we all knew that the way that they were struggling defensively, if they did line up against Brooklyn, we already know Brooklyn's having one of the most historic, prolific offensive seasons in the in the league. Mm-hmm. With the terrible defense that Boston's providing, that's like gasoline on an already torched fucking forest. I genuinely think that Boston would just get absolutely obliterated off the face of the earth in a seven-game series. Yeah. If they were to face one of those top two at, seeds. At the most, it's a five-game series. Realistically, it's probably a sweep, like you said. Yeah. I mean, since we're on the topic of talking about postseason, with it being just about a week away, Kyle and I are going to get into it, uh, our quick uh, opinions on what team, if they were to make it out of the play-in, could make some damage and some noise in their respective conferences. So we've been talking about the Eastern Conference. Uh, let's just stay on that road. Uh I believe Kyle and I already iterated, or should I say reiterated, what we believe to be the scariest team at this point in time if they make it out of the play-in tournament. And we've both come to the agreement, Kyle, what team is that, man? It's the Washington Wizards. This this team offensively, what they've been providing the last, I don't know, week or two has been absolutely ridiculous. Just the offensive output that Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook have been putting on has been nothing short of phenomenal. When you look at Russell Westbrook, for example, granted, Russell Westbrook has never been the most efficient shooter as far as point guards go. 
But when it comes to his overall impact to the whatever team he's on, whether it's with OKC, Houston, and now Washington, he has made his presence known and felt by his ability to distribute the basketball and rebound. And it's very rare that you see somebody like him at the caliber and really the star-studded nature of his game go out and just dominate the points per game side of things, getting assists and getting rebounds at the clip that he's getting at. I remember, even though like he may not score, like let's say, I think there was a game he had like a week or two ago where he got like 14 points, wasn't his best shooting performance, but he followed it up with damn near 20 rebounds and 20 assists. I think he did have 20 and 20, like 21 and 23 or something like that. It was ridiculous. Like who is putting up these types of numbers? I mean, the only person I could really think of that could put up like, I won't say similar numbers, but kind of like where you could kind of get like that type of production is maybe Draymond Green on a good day where he's getting maybe around like 10 to 15 points a game, but he's making it up with the amount of assists that he's getting and the rebounds as well. It's just that, that Russell has just been cooking the entire I was going to say Giannis, year. honestly, because Giannis has the ability to go up there and get 15 boards because of his height, and but, then he has decent court vision. But the assist is where he slacks, though. Russell oh, doesn't yeah. have that. Russell doesn't have that issue. Russell oh, this yeah. year, Russell this year is averaging 22, 11, 11 and, 11. and 11. Like, this is Fourth nuts. year in his career, he's averaging a triple-double. And, guys, he has just tied Oscar Robinson as of last night or the night before. And career triple doubles with 181 total in his career. And then you got Bradley Beal, who's a top two scorer in this league. He would be number one if it wasn't for Steph absolutely going just scorched earth against the entire league this last month or two. So whatever team's going to have to go up against those two guys in Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook, that's going to be a problem. So let's just say hypothetically that the wizards get out of the the plan and they play either the 76ers or the nets. I don't think that they'll win that's those series against those teams, but they'll present a much more formidable team against the 76ers and the nets more than what Boston would be. Like we just talked about a couple of minutes ago. If I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure Washington beat Brooklyn like two or three times this season, Russell going off in each of those games. Yeah, I think actually one of the games, I think Russell ended up getting like a late second steal, ended up knocking down a three, and they ended up winning the game. Right, I think, right, right. Yes, I think, yes, yes. I, I think he ended up stealing it from Jer- from Joe Harris in that game, if yeah. I remember correctly. So, like I said, though, they would be a much more competitive team to go up against Brooklyn or Philly. Is it enough to get them over the top against those teams? I doubt it. But out of the four teams in the Eastern Conference that are going to be in the play-in tournament, which is Boston, Charlotte, Washington, and Indiana, those are the four teams in the Western Conference. I give Washington the best Eastern, chance. Eastern. Excuse me, the Eastern Conference. I give them the best chance to possibly make it a series against the 76ers or the um, or the Nets. I wouldn't put it past them. With the Western Conference. The Western Conference are going to have a little bit of a caveat here because in the Western Conference, you have the Lakers. One one second. Before we move to the West, I just have to give kudos and credit to those Indiana Pacers. They may be the 10th seed, 
But Demonis Sabonis has been absolutely scorching the NBA. and He's not getting a lot of credit. The night that they played the Wizards when Bradley and Russell went off, the Pacers had their two stars go off too. Sabonis had 30. Who the hell? Australia's calling me? Uh, no, thanks. Um, <laughs> I don't know. That was really weird. Sorry, guys. Um, Demonis Sabonis had 30, 13, and 13. Chris Levert had 38, 14, and 8. Mm-hmm. they have their own little duo right there. And, and you, we all know that Brogdon and Sabonis were having a great beginning and first half of the season. If the three of those men can get it going, I'm not going to sit here and dismiss and say that they don't have a chance to beat the Wizards. Because again, like Kyle said, Russell's not the most effective shooter in the world. So if he goes on one of those cold streaks, it's a one and you're done. It's literally you win and you move on. So if for whatever reason, Sabonis dominates down low and he starts getting involved in the passing game and Levert starts knocking down his shots. It is possible. I will say that I feel like the Pacers do match up a little bit better than the Wizards because you just have the one-two punch of Bradley Beal and Russell, and there's not much afterwards other than maybe Hachimura at the three or the four position. No disrespect to the front court, or should I say the back court of Beal and, and Westbrook, but when you have a, a potential three-headed monster – that if Brogdon shows up, he could become, and maybe TJ Warren. I don't know if TJ's playing. I haven't really followed the Pacers too much this season. I know that he was out for the majority of the year recovering from some procedure or some surgery. But if if the three players that I just named can get it going, um, I think that they match up very well. Um, obviously, Levert would obviously have to go up against James Harden and or um, – Kyrie Irving, Zabonis would probably go up against one-on-one with Kevin Durant and so on and so forth. But I do think that they match up a little bit better than Washington overall as a team. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm definitely not going to sit here and just say Washington's a clear favorite. They're our pick mutually. We just believe that they're better right now. Mm-hmm. But if it's, like I said, a closer game down to the wire, don't be surprised if Indiana comes out of this playing tournament. I don't disagree. I don't disagree. So I just – I. I would hedge my bets a little bit more with Washington just because they've been a little bit more consistently. They've been more consistent lately. 100%. With the Western Conference, though, my take's going to be a little bit different because there's going to be a caveat with it. So as it currently stands, you've got the Lakers at the seven. Golden State is at the eight. You got the Grizzlies at number nine, and you have the Spurs rounding it out at 10. So if the play-in tournament were to be played today, the Lakers will play the Warriors, and the Grizzlies will play the Spurs. I think out of those four teams, as it currently stands, the Lakers would have the best chance to really make a huge impact against the entire Western Conference because you're getting LeBron James back, whether it's, I think it's tonight against the Knicks or at some point later this week. And then you got AD who's coming off a monster game against Phoenix this past weekend where he dropped 42 points and looked like he definitely had his full confidence in his body again after he dealt with his whole Achilles issue for the past two to three months. And I'm telling you right now, that performance that AD put on against Phoenix could really spark something significant for the Lakers moving forward for the last week of the season and into the playoffs. And if the Lakers catch fire at the right time, as they're going into the playoffs, nobody in the, excuse me, nobody in the Western conference wants to go up against that team especially we got LeBron and AD to contend with. That's going to be a tough matchup. Here's where the caveat comes in. I don't think the Lakers are going to be the seventh seed. I think that they're going to overtake the trailblazers and get the sixth spot in this last week of the season. The Lakers have some favorable matchups and 
the Trailblazers have some tough matchups to go up uh, later this week. So it wouldn't surprise me that the Lakers overtake Trailblazers because the Lakers are only one game back of Portland at this point. And I think as long as the Lakers win three out of the four games and Portland drops two out of four, and I think there's a very good chance that they could lose three out of four, the Lakers could definitely take that six spot and miss the play-in tournament entirely. Now, if that's the case where the Lakers don't play in the play-in tournament, I have to give it up to Golden State. I Golden State, just because of what Steph Curry's been providing the entire season. This dude is phenomenal. I remember when I came back from my trip, I looked up one of the stat lines where he dropped 49 points in 29 minutes against the Oklahoma City Thunder, and he hit 11 threes in the process. I mean, had Curry played like 35 to like 38 minutes in that game, he probably could have scored 60. He has just been absolutely phenomenal. He is now the lead leading point scorer in the NBA. And he's also the number one player in points per game scored. And I remember Kevin and I talked about this before the episode. We got to find out who freaking Steph Curry's chiropractor is because he's going to have to have one hell of an adjustment after this season, just with the amount of weight that he's had to carry to get Golden State to this position. They are currently at the eight, and if they win their matchup against Portland, if Portland slides back to the seven spot, I think Golden State could definitely win that game. And they would pretty much, it would pretty much tell me that the Warriors are going to have a decent shot to go up against the Suns. I still think the Suns are going to win that matchup if it holds out that way. But I don't think any team really wants to deal with that guy in Steph Curry. You do not want to deal with that man, especially with the tear that he's been on recently. Good luck trying to stop him. So th- there are some decent defenders in this league. So if if Golden State were to like maintain that eighth spot, they would go up against the Jazz. Maybe Mike Conley Jr. can find a way to slow them down if Golden State were to get into the playoffs. But that is a tough task. Don't get me wrong. Mike Conley Jr. is a solid defender. But Steph has been Steph and he's been cooking for two months straight. And there's a very real chance that he could make a really strong case to scoop up the MVP by the end of the year. I'm just just laying that out there. I know, Kevin, you could talk about that a little bit later. But those are the two teams that I have that could make a pretty solid impact if they were to get out of the playing tournament and make it into the playoffs. So I got... Washington in the Eastern Conference, and I got Golden State. If the Lakers get out of the uh, the playing tournament, if they don't, then the Lakers would. Um, if they stayed in the playing tournament, so as per usual, Kyle and I typically have the same thought process going into a lot of these predictions and analysis. Obviously, if the Los Angeles Lakers, being the defending champs that they are, Anthony Davis maintains the level of play that he has over the last couple of days, and LeBron James comes back and just plays average LeBron James he doesn't have to score 25 28 and have like eight and eight he can just put up 22 five and five just he just automatically attracts the defense to have to focus in on him and then AD mm-hmm. you, you can't double AD if LeBron's on the court because then LeBron's gonna get somebody else involved or he's gonna get he's gonna dominate so I agree with Kyle I believe that the Lakers do swap with Portland right now 
And I think that the Lakers end up getting out of the play-in tournament, which would lead them to play the Clippers in a first-round matchup, which Kyle and I were actually talking before. We get the series we were supposed to get last year in the Western Conference Finals, but it's except it's going to be a first-round matchup, a battle between the L.A.s. It's going to be a phenomenal series if it were to pan out. And I agree with Kyle completely. Um, if Portland slides down, I know history tends to favor repeating itself sometimes. And in this particular case, the Warriors have pretty much dominated the Blazers over the last five years in multiple playoff matchups. Mm-hmm. Granted, Golden State has been loaded with Kevin Durant, with Klay Thompson, with Draymond Green being a lot more offensively competent over the last couple of seasons. Um, the roster's pretty much completely altered other than Steph Curry being the main focal point that's remained the same and Draymond Green. But we all know, like I just said, Draymond has not exactly been offensively gifted as he was a couple yeah. of years back. He's more focused on protecting the rim, rebounding, facilitating a little bit more. And lackluster in scoring is, a, is an understatement. Draymond, is he looks completely like incapable of putting the basket in the hole. I mean, he's he's having a terrible offensive season, in my opinion. He's not shooting the ball well. Um, his field goal percentage isn't the best in the world. But at the same time, I'm sitting here and I'm just looking at the play-in situation. If Golden State were to play Portland with Stephen Curry being – I'll get into him in a second. I think Golden State wins that series, but you have to give credit. Damian Lillard has been playing absolutely phenomenal this season as well. He has cooled off a little bit as of late in terms of him being in the MVP discussion, as we talked about about a month ago. But you still have to respect Steph and Dame, like they did in the All-Star game, can pull from anywhere on the court. And I think that that would be a phenomenal matchup, a one-shot to get in the damn playoffs. I think Dame and Steph going one-on-one back and forth would be an incredible incredible play in situation. I think it's going to get great ratings, but I, I, it's just Wardell has just been uh, godly on another planet. Like if I had a Curry Jersey, I'd probably sleep in it because the way this man playing right now is just he open. There's no other word to say it um, between the nine and the 10 seed. Again, if it was to end it'd be uh, Memphis versus San Antonio, both of these teams have been very inconsistent. They've both been teetering between the 10 and 8 seeds pretty much all season. Um, Ja Morant is obviously one of the best up-and-coming under-25 stars in this league. We all know he can jump out the gym. Uh, we all know that Dylan Brooks, Grayson Allen, um, Jonas Valanciunas are all great, great, great players. But we all know that Greg Popovich and that system over there can dominate anybody if they need to in a half-court set. You know, DeMar DeRozan has been playing very well as of late. DeJounte Murray has been playing very well after hurting him uh, after he got hurt last year. So, I mean, overall, I think that would be a, a kind of like a gritty physical defensive match, at least in my opinion. Uh, both teams very similar, but also very different at the same time, if you guys can follow me on that note. But if it did come down to it, I think I could take Golden State over Portland if they slide. And I think I would probably take Memphis over the Spurs just because of their young athleticism. And then I would always, I would obviously go Steph Curry over John Morant uh, for the seventh seed in the playoffs. And I think that if they were to go up against Phoenix, uh, if uh, Golden State were to clinch that seventh spot after the play-in, I think the uh, Chris Paul matchup versus Stephen Curry will be very, very, very interesting. Obviously, Chris Paul sure. being one of the better defenders in this league at his position. And we all know that Chris Paul and Steph Curry have been going at it well over five years. This was this 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 dates back to Steph making CP3 Paul in the CP3 fall in the regular season with that back to back behind the back move under the basket. We all know that you know I think Steph or Chris stepped on one of the other's foot and that's why he fell. But nevertheless, you know the the Clippers and the Warriors went at it well before the Warriors started their dynasty run. So there is a little bit of bad blood between Steph and uh, 
Steph and Chris, I think that would be a good series. Overall, the Suns have been playing very, very well. I don't think that Golden State would be able to stop them. I think Steph can maybe carry them to a win or two at most. And that's like Steph popping the fuck off, like 40 to 50 points in both games. Mm -hmm. But, you know, overall, like Kyle said, completely agree. If Golden State or if L.A. slides up, I take Golden State to come out. If L.A. falls, does not win, and they stay in the seventh spot, obviously LeBron James and Anthony Davis but probably the best one-two punch in this league. I do think that they come out of the playing tournament no matter what scenario is in that damn thing or who comes out of that. Um, but, yeah, the playing tournament is going to be exciting on both sides of the, of, the, of the league. I mean, I think Adam Silver and the NBA hit it on the head. These are going to be incredible, incredible um, battles because we both know that the bottom four teams in this tournament are, are very gritty and tough teams. Nobody's really a rollover team here. And uh, I'm excited, man. And don't rule out uh, the Pelicans sitting at the 11th seed here. They're a game and a half back. If San Antonio or Memphis fall for whatever reason, you could see a Zion Williamson Alonzo Ball matchup in this in this as well. So uh, very curious to see how this all pans out. Very excited. And dude, playoff basketball is coming, man. I'm I'm getting itchy, bro. It's gonna be it's gonna be fire. Exactly. And you have a lot of these teams really making that last second push to try to improve their seating a little bit. And then with some of those teams that are on the bottom end of the conference trying to get into one of those play-in seeds, this is their week to make it count. And we'll see what happens as far as if there's any shifting that goes in between some of these teams that are going in for the play-in. But that's a good – it is good that you mentioned New Orleans because they're only, what, you said like game, game and a half back. New um, Orleans is 31 and 37 – uh, San Antonio is 32 and 35 officially as of this chart they are a game and a half back of the Spurs and there's you, there's about four or five games left for the regular season for pretty much all yeah. the teams so mm-hmm. look New Orleans could make a last second push to try to get that 10th spot and that would ensure them a spot in the playing tournament and then once you're in there you never know what could happen so that'll be it'll be really fun to watch and I'll tell you what, we definitely look forward to these upcoming playoff matches because they're going to be a lot of fun to watch. going to be wild, man. And you know what else is wild? Wardell, Stephen Curry, the damn second, okay? I'm going to put y'all on something real quick, right? Stephen Curry is having such an electrifying year right now, right? This man, Kyle, actually, let me give kudos to Kyle. Kyle, what's, what, did, what did you say happened when Steph Curry cut his hair? So he got a haircut a couple of weeks ago, and I said, if he gets a fade – or once he got the fade, it's over for the league. And he has proceeded to basically put the entire league on site and is just mowing teams down in the process. In Stephen Curry's last five games, one, two, three, four, five, six games, he's had 49, 34, 37, 41, and 30, and 37. Are you fucking kidding me right now? Like, there is absolutely positively there's no level higher than Stephen Curry right now. He's been doing this. Like I said, the last two weeks, I know that I've been talking about him for the last month or so, but it's really hard not to repeat yourself because when someone is on a pace like this, this, this is history. This is, this is literally one of the craziest runs a player has ever made. And I'm talking about right alongside Kobe Bryant in 2006 we're talking James Harden a few years ago when he went for like 35 a game and he was just like torching the league with like, I think it was like 20 something games with 30 plus points. And 
These players are just, they're doing it at clips that are just unheard of, right? So Steph Curry is averaging 31 points per game, 31.9, literally a fucking ass crack away from 32. He's averaging 48% from the field, 42.9, almost 43% from the three-point line, five and five in rebounds and assists. And the fucking Warriors are two games above 500 with Draymond Green and fucking Andrew Wiggins being their best next players. Excuse me. They lost their number two overall pick, James Wiseman, like six weeks ago. And this man is, are you, I don't even, I can't speak. I'm not a Warriors fan, but the way that this man's playing basketball is just ridiculous. And Kyle and I were talking about it. I truthfully and honestly wholeheartedly believe that the NBA needs to get rid of this stupid stigma that the MVP has to come from a top four seeded player. Because if you are looking at most valuable player on a team, it's Stephen Curry. And it's not even close. All of these other teams have supporting cast members around them. The Nuggets had Jamal Murray prior to injury. They had Michael Porter Jr. They acquired Aaron Gordon. You know what I mean? The Lakers have Anthony Davis. They have Montrezl Harrell. They have LeBron James. They have uh, Kadavius Caldwell-Pope, and the list goes on. You're looking at one player on this whole team that's carried them from like the 11th or 12th seed all the way to the 8th into a play-in. And it's a one-game winner, winner takes all. I'm putting all my money in my account on Steph Curry because for one game, I need you to fucking pop off. He's been doing it all season. Dude, 32 points a game by yourself, no help? I don't want mm-hmm. to hear it, bro. I, I All the respect in the world to Nikola Jokic, he's been a consistent pillar in this league all season, bro. His stats are insane for a seven-footer. He's averaging 26, 10, and 8. Almost 27, 11, and 9. Almost. With a steal and a half a game and just under a block a game. At fucking seven foot. And the Nuggets are the fourth seed in the, in the Western Conference. Like I said, great numbers. But he's not doing it at the clip that Steph is. Nobody is, honestly. The closest person is Bradley Beal. And that's because Bradley Beal's got a score because him and Russell are the only two players doing anything on that team, realistically. But he has a running mate. He has Russell Westbrook. He has someone to distribute. He has someone to give him the ball or get a rebound and give him the ball. Steph don't got that. Steph's playing with uh, LA Fitness people right now. Are you kidding me right now? Damian Lee, his brother-in-law, playing like shit. Andrew Wiggins, he had maybe a three or four game stretch where he was averaging like 24 a game. The rest of the season, Kelly Oubre, Gaka, Draymond Green, I don't know what the fuck's going on with you. I don't even know who plays the five for them. Does it matter? No. He's just, he's doing something that hasn't been done since 2006. And I make 2006 a reference point because Kobe Bryant was averaging damn near 36 points per game. But because he wasn't a a top-seeded team in the West, Steve Nash won the fucking MVP, averaging 18 and 11. Granted, he had a historic year, 50% in the field, 40% in the three-point line, 90% from the freaking free throw, uh, free throw line, which is it hasn't really been done very often. The 50-40-90 club is a very exclusive club. Dirk Davinsky is a part of that club, by the way. Um, it, it, I get it, but, bro, when you're talking value, importance, 
dominance, these are the players you need to give homage to. These are the people you need to respect and award for just genuinely being the best player in the league right now. Are you kidding me right now? This isn't this this this, this shouldn't be a debate. This shouldn't be a vote. He's not going to win unanimously, obviously. The one time he did that, I don't even know if it should have been unanimous because there were some other players in the league at the time that were playing very well. But nevertheless, Steph is the first unanimous MVP ever. I think that this man is either right up on Jokic's fucking tail or he's in his ass like, yo, bro, I'm fucking here. And especially if he does hold off and carry them into the Western Conference playoffs and he wins, even if it's just one game of the play-in, let alone both. If they make it to the seventh seed, Kyle, he better win MVP. Like he's so, this roster is basura without Stephen Curry on the roster, bro. There's no shot Steph Curry doesn't win MVP or at least doesn't deserve to win. Yo, Mike Casada, if you're listening, bro, I'm fucking preaching for you, boy. I don't want to hear no slander. And then when I fucking get mad, if the fucking Warriors play the Mavs in the playoffs this year or some other shit, I can't talk my shit about him because I've been supporting him all year. I'm just throwing that out there. I had to say that. Sorry, Casada's the big fucking Stephen Curry fan, and he was on my podcast a couple months back, maybe a year ago. But uh, yeah, that's all I got to say. That's my motherfucking rant right here. Drop so, so if you take Steph Curry away from Golden State, what number do you one think pick. This... M- number two pick, number two pick in the draft. They're, they're, they're side by side with the Rockets. How many wins do you think that this team would realistically get without Steph on the team? Because the Rockets don't even have. I don't even think the Rockets have twenty wins on the season. The Rockets have 16 wins. Um, if Steph Curry's not on this fucking team and you solely are relying on Andrew Wiggins, which is what they did last year, we're talking maybe 20 wins, maybe 19. They, they, they suck. They, 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 they are just all. When Steph doesn't play, they lose by 50. He didn't play against Toronto, and they lost by 54. Who did they play against? Wasn't it OKC? Toronto. Oh, it's Toronto. 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 Toronto's been. 50-something points. And, to, and Toronto's been mediocre the entire season, too. Yeah. Granted, Steph Curry mainly gets these points from beyond the arc. I understand that. There are a lot of times where Steph are, is pulling from everywhere. But if you are watching these games and you see that basically everybody on this team is, like, incompetent, you will shoot 50 fucking threes, too, man. He literally is trying to will this team to win. We've seen him animated on the sideline, diving for balls, loose balls, yelling at referees. Just He's doing it all. He's doing it all alone. I know a lot of people have done this in their careers. LeBron James has done it. Kobe Bryant has done it. Dirk Nowitzki has done it. And a litany of other players in NBA history that have done it alone, that have carried their teams into the postseason. But when you talk about this particular season, and the clip that he's doing it, I think that he truthfully and rightfully deserves to win MVP. I'm just amazed by just the little amount of space that he can create and just knock down shots from 35 to 40 feet. Like it's a practice session. I've never seen anybody, maybe other, the only person I could really think of that kind of does it at a similar clip, but not as, not the way that, Steph does is maybe Damian Lillard, but Steph, I, I honestly thought that Golden State was going to be in real trouble after James Wiseman without went out of the lineup with his injury, because who's going to protect the paint? And we both mentioned that Steph would have to score thirty-five to forty points a game consistently to keep Golden State relevant. He's lived up to that, and then some. 
I just I can't get the stat line out of my head. He dropped 49 points in 29 minutes against OKC. Granted, OKC is not the greatest team in the world. It's still an NBA team, though. He was getting doubled the majority of that game. And you get and you score 50, basically 50 points in two and a half hour. In two and a half in two and a half quarters of playing time. Like that's silly. Like the guy was pulling up from 40. And knocking him down. He even got fouled on a three-point shot with like 30 seconds left. Threw from like 35 feet and splashed it. It was just silly. It's, I could go on and on about this guy, and I could basically just piggyback off of everything that you just said. But this guy needs to be a serious MVP candidate. I'm not talking about like, oh, he's definitely like in the top five of the MVP conversation. No, I'm talking like top two. That's where he needs to be because I, I fully agree with what you said. Just because that Golden State isn't a top four seed in the Western Conference doesn't mean that Steph Curry should be exempt from the MVP discussion because of that. He is single-handedly taking this team from – essentially a trash can from last year because they were just God awful with nobody on the roster, mainly because everybody was hurt to where he's going to make this team a playoff team. You take Steph out of the lineup. This is a number one, number two team picking in the draft. That's his impact. It's unbelievable. And I just want to see more from the guy. If the, if this guy can carry these type of performances into the playoffs, where they get out of the play-in tournament and into the playoffs, man, that's going to be fun to watch. I don't think Golden State's going to make it past the first round of the playoffs this year. But Seth Curry is going to make those performances compelling because he's going to keep them in most of the games that they play in. Last that fact, because... I have to, it just, it sits here. It literally eats away at me if I don't say it. Steph Curry is 80 career threes away from Ray Allen's all-time record. He's played 600 less games than Ray Allen. 600. Oh, and Steph missed a lot of time in the beginning of his career with the ankle injuries. I'm I'm just, and he missed all of last season. I'm just, you know, I'm just, I'm just here. You know what I'm saying? I'm I just provide y'all the information, and you do it. You do with it with, with what you please. But I'm gonna throw some more at you, just to, just, just, just to give you more, you know, clarity for the for the campaign. I might start an MVP for for Steph Curry chant or like trend on Twitter. He's got 10 40 point games this season. In his career, he has 21 games of 10 plus threes or more. The second place player on that list is Clay Thompson with five. He's had like six of those games this year. You know, I'm just do as it with you will. I am a mere fan of the sport that is basketball. So, so check this out, just to kind of add another stat here. So Steph Curry has the most threes compared to anybody else in the league this year with 324. Buddy Heald of the Sacramento Kings is in second place with 269. So that puts him about 55 behind Steph. Buddy Heald has played seven more games than Steph has. And Steph hasn't beat by 55 
freaking three-pointers made. I mean, you put Steph Curry – you you give Steph Curry seven more games. Steph would damn near be around 375. Just the way that he's been playing this entire season. He would be almost almost 103-point shots made higher than the second-place person, which is Buddy Heald, and then Damian Lillard is in third. He's uh he's around two hundred sixty three pointers made this year. He's had to do it though; it's all on him. And w- Golden State is basically dependent on one player, and that's Steph. Wherever he goes, they go. It's as yeah, simple as that. It's it's, it's, it's going to be exciting to watch, but I have. I've done enough Stephen Curry hype in the last 10 minutes. I believe I will drop it and put my energy towards something further that is more meaningful towards me. And that is the New York Yankees. Um, We have turned it around this season as of the last week or so, two weeks or so. We had a good uh, series against, I want to say Baltimore was first. Or should I say Cleveland, Baltimore. I think I have it here. Actually, I was trying to go off of memory, but the Stephen Curry thing just fucked me up. Um, it was Baltimore, Detroit, Houston, and the Nationals. We won all of those series, thankfully. Or should I say, actually, we split the Baltimore series. We went two and two. Uh, we swept Detroit. We took two out of three against the Astros, and I believe we took two out of three against the Nats. Um, all of this pretty much coming on the shoulders of Giancarlo Stanton, who is on a 13-game hitting streak, batting 292 with nine home runs. Um, he's playing out of this world. He just walked us off the other day. I believe Glaber Torres walked us off the day before and so on and so forth. Um, the Yankees are just turning it around right now. Uh, after the retirement of Jay Bruce, we've kind of rotated first baseman between Miguel and Duhar, DJ LeMahieu, um, we've Mike Ford we called up. Uh, I believe Luke Voigt is getting called up from Scranton today at some point, uh, I believe, because we just sent in Duhar down and Voigt just hit a fucking moonshot last night in Scranton. So, I mean, I believe he's just coming back to form. I believe we'll get our full lineup right back. Uh, pitching has been great. Corey Kluber's been playing great. Garrett Cole's obviously been doing his thing. Uh, Domingo Herman has been playing better. Um, obviously, our bullpen's been doing its thing for the majority of this season with Michael King or all this Chapman, Justin Wilson, and so on and so forth. Uh, the team is just – they look a lot better. We look a lot more poised as of late. We do have some – we still have some, some struggling offensive players like Aaron Hicks on the team. Uh, Mike Ford, as I had stated, uh, I believe Clint Frazier is kind of in a little bit of a slump. Gardner hasn't been playing the greatest. But again, overall, the team has just been performing at a, a much better clip. And we are just, I believe, a couple of games out of first place, if I'm not mistaken. Three and a half. Yeah, we're about, well, yeah, we're about three and a half out of Boston in first. Honestly, you couldn't have paid me enough money to think that Boston would be first, especially the way that Toronto has been playing at well earlier. And the way that the Rays were kind of clapping us up early on in the season, ironically enough, we are about to enter a three to four game series against them in the next couple of days. I believe it is a three game series. So, uh, yeah, I'm happy. I am not satisfied because, like I said, we still are struggling in places we shouldn't. But it's better than we were two, three weeks ago. Gary Sanchez is still playing like dog water. He did hit a home run maybe about a couple of days ago. Doesn't justify his shit performance, which is why which is why Kyle Hashigoka has taken a little bit more of a starting role as I would have rightfully expected. I believe my case of beer will be nicely added to the fridge, or should I say 
It'll cancel out my other loss for our bet. <laughs> and I won't have to get a Gary Sanchez jersey this this uh this uh this summertime. So I mean, Kyle, I know you haven't been able to watch a lot of Yankees baseball, but I know you've been keeping up with at least this, the statistical portion of it somewhat. What do you think, man? Are, are, are we trending in the right direction? Are we, are, are we going in a place that you think can, can continue for the success or, or what? Yeah, I think you guys are all right right now. It's better than what you guys started out with. You guys were freaking like 5-10 and 10 the first 15 games of the season. You guys were in last place in the AL East. And granted, you know, the bottom end of the AL East is not that special because Baltimore is not that good of a team. Toronto, they have their moments, but they're just too inconsistent for, for my taste. Really, I think the top three teams in the AL East this year are pretty much right where they are with the Red Sox being at the top, the Yankees second, and the Rays being third. It's still very early in the season, but the one thing that I do like is that it looks like the bats are finally coming alive. And it's nice because now it takes a little bit, it takes a little bit of pressure off the pitching staff to be on all the time. So I would like to see them try to maybe get into the higher single digits when it comes to runs per game, just because I think that this team has the power and decent hitting to really make that a reality, just to kind of take some pressure off that off that pitching rotation, like I just mentioned. So the one thing that I will kind of pay attention to is like you mentioned the rise of Kyle Higashigoka. I probably said his name wrong. I'm sorry if I did, Higashioka. but whatever. It's just, if he can keep playing at the clip that he's been playing at, because he did have a nice little stretch. I, I want to say this was maybe like a week or two ago. I forget who they were playing he had a nice uh, three game series where I think he hit like two home runs in back to back games and was, was knocking in some, some nice RBIs with some decent hits. So granted I'm not as in depth. uh, I don't have a lot of in-depth knowledge about the Yankees as you do. I'm pretty sure it was the Indians. Yeah. It was like two or three weeks ago. I remember. I remember, I remember watching that, but this team is heading in the right direction for sure. They are a lot, they're in a lot better position than they were two to three weeks ago where they were really struggling to get the bats going. But they keep this going. I I think they have Luke Voigt coming back within probably the next week or two. Just kind of depends on how his 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 rehab starts in uh, double and triple A go. But you know, when I look across the landscape of the the AL altogether, the Yankees are right there. They're definitely a top 10 team right now. So I don't know if they would be like a top five team. I don't know if I would go that far yet. Not yet. They're seven and three in their last 10 games. They've been playing better at home and they're winning most of these series, whether it's three games or four games in the last month or so. So the main thing right now is just to stay consistent. It's going to be a long season and we're not even, we're not even a quarter of the way through the season yet. So, which is beautiful. It it really is beautiful. I love baseball season. It, it's so, so long. Yep, it's a slow burn. But the one thing I would like to see them try to get by the end of this month is try to narrow that gap between themselves and the Red Sox. Maybe try to snag that top spot in the AL East. That'd be that'd be a pretty solid goal to hit by. I don't know June. Maybe, maybe this time. Maybe a month from now. Maybe early June. But. I think they'll be okay. I think I think they're in a lot better position than they were a month ago. I'll say that for sure. 
Oh, 100%. I think that uh, the stadium was electric when Houston came in to the arena, or the arena, the stadium. Um, that was the first time that obviously Houston came to New York after the scandal situation. Obviously, last year there were no fans. So this was the first time the fans got to let, really let them have it. Uh, I got to watch a lot of that first game on my phone and on the TV. I watched about five innings of it. I had some errands I had to run afterwards. But, yeah, the, 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 the stadium and the fans let them have it. Um, a lot of signs out there, a lot of shit talking, um, a lot of heckling out there in the outfield. Just it, New York is is waking itself up. It's becoming itself again. You know what I'm saying? Uh, we've talked about it a multitude of times. When the Knicks do good, New York does good. And now all three teams in terms of the respective sports right now, the Knicks – and the Nets playing very well, and the Yankees and the Mets both playing very well as of late. Um, New York is on a, on a rise right now in sports, and I could not be happier that the city is doing as good as it is, in, 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 again, in relation to sports. And I think that the Yankees are, like I said, trending in the right direction. And as you stated, we have a long, long, long way to go. But I, I, I couldn't be happier right now. I'm not, I'm not satisfied, as I stated before, but I'm in a better place than I was a few weeks ago. So I'm, I, I ain't mad at it. Yeah, because you were pretty hot when they were in last place of the AL East. You were saying, like, I've had enough with this team. Yeah, uh, you know, it just, you know, when you have players like that, that literally cost majority of certain franchises' entire payroll with, between two players, you really sit there and you're like, bro, what, what the fuck are you doing? Our most expensive player on the payroll and Giancarlo Stanton is finally playing up to par. And, you know, knock on wood, he's, he's playing healthy. So that's relatively huge. And like I said, nine home runs, batting 292 in a 13-game hit streak. He's doing really, really, really well. And I'm just hoping he keeps it at that pace or, you know, somewhat in that ballpark. Labor needs to wake up. He had a couple of good hits, a couple of good, decent games the last week or so. He had a walk-off. Um, DJ LeMay, he was getting back to his ways of getting on base and at least, you know, making himself, making his presence known of at least giving us an opportunity to get batters in. We just really need to get Aaron Judge on that consistent basis again. I know he had a couple of home runs this past week as well and some uh, some clutch walks. So I will uh, – I'll leave it at that, you know, in terms of baseball. I do know that we have one more topic wait, of wait, baseball wait. to talk about. Before we transition, I do have to mention something. Because the Yankees played the Nationals this past weekend, correct? Yes. Now, Max Scherzer had one hell of a performance in that Absolutely. series. Absolutely, Okay. Now, I've seen some tweets about this topic on whether or not that the Yankees should try to trade for Max Scherzer. I don't know how realistic a goal that is or the idea of that becoming a reality is, but is that something that you would entertain to kind of bolster the starting roster? So right off rip, I'm going to say absolutely not because – First and foremost, a player of Max Scherzer's caliber is too expensive at the Yankees' radar right now. He's going to cost a multitude of farm system players. The Nationals aren't exactly in the best predicament in terms of staff. They don't really have the best team right now. So they're going to want some ready-to-play-now players. Um, I know they'd probably be, be interested in maybe Glaber Torres. I don't know, maybe uh, – um, uh, Clint Frazier out, layer, out there in left field, uh, maybe a Luke Voigt, maybe some bullpen relief pitchers, maybe even a starting pitcher. And right now we don't have a lot of starting pitchers to go around. So, I mean, they're definitely not going to give up their ace, arguably their best player for cheap. So, I mean, not to mention you have to realize that Max Scherzer comes with a massive contract hit. 
So the Yankees will have to pay out of their ass and probably have some arbitration issues at the end of the year because they're going to have to reconcile all of that role, that payroll. And I, would I like it in a perfect world? Absolutely. The one-two punch of Garrett Cole and Max Scherzer would be, I got goosebumps thinking about it. It'd be nice. But the, the limbs we would have to give up to attain that talent would, I think, be a little bit too much right now. I think that we have a very well-put-together team in certain spots, and to give up some focal points for one piece, I don't think would work very well. I don't think the ends would justify the means, in other words. I understand. I was just – I saw some reports floating around on Twitter the other day, and before we started the episode, I, I was interested in the, the possibility of that maybe being explored at some point in the season, but I just wanted to get your take on it just to kind of see where you stand yeah. on it. Cashman has been very passive lately in free agency and in the trade deadline, aside from the signing of Garrett Cole two years ago. And I don't really see him going out there and throwing our farm system out the window for a man in his thirties. Granted, he is one of the best pitchers in baseball and he's a win now pitcher. And he would immediately put us in contention again for a world series. But I mean, like, I just don't think he's willing to give up key components of this roster in which I believe he thinks can win a world series. And I, I, I think that, 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 that cap hit would hurt us pretty bad. Yeah. That's just how, that's how I see it. It would be great to add him to the roster, but I think it's just too steep. You're going to have to oh, get yeah. way too much up in the process to, to get a guy like that. But he had one hell of a performance against you guys. And I did have to kind of mention that because getting 14 K's against the Yankees. Is it really easy because we swing at air, but yes. Still a good performance. You can just blame it on Gary Sanchez for that, for making the whole team swing. I, I can blame Gary for a lot of things. I can blame Gary for a lot of things. We're not going to get into that right now. Um, Random fact, though, Albert Pujols, uh, future Hall of Fame first baseman for the St. Louis Cardinals and the Los Angeles Angels, or the Anaheim Angels, whatever you want to call them, um, has been released from Anaheim. He is a free agent in this league. I believe that he is... 41 years old, based off the conversation that Kyle and I had earlier. I thought he was in his late 30s, man's in his 40s. Um, I believe he has about five or six home runs this season, batting just under 200, if not right at the 200 mark. Um, I believe he would be a valuable asset to a, a contending team, like a postseason team. There's mm-hmm. like a DH spot in the American League. Um, maybe a pinch hitting role. I don't necessarily know. Yeah. I know a lot of people are campaigning for him to go back to St. Louis, but Without the available position of a designated hitter in the National League, I don't know if it's in St. Louis's best interest to pick up the remainder of that contract and or sign him for the remainder of the year because he's not really going to get a lot of playing time. So uh, I think his best suit to A, compete for a championship, or B, to continue playing would be on an American League team because of his ability to just have, have to just hit the baseball, which is all the designated hitter position is. Um, Albert Pujols being one of the greatest hitters, in the modern baseball era, one of the most powerful hitters in our generation, as well as in baseball history, hitting over 600, 600 home runs in his career. Um, definitely one of the icon pillars in the Hispanic community as well, coming from Dominican Republic. Somebody that I've always admired growing up, you know, being of a Hispanic descent, somebody that just played the game the right way and, you know, always played it with a, with a smile on his face, two-time World Series champion. Um, I really do hope that he gets signed for the remainder of the year just so he can, get, you know, kind of ride it out on the sunset on a, on a high note. Like, you know, at least I helped contribute to a team to win 
Um, in a perfect world, he would be a Yankee, but I know that that's not exactly possible. We already have Giancarlo Stanton at the DH position, so it would be redundant. Um, I just hope that he does good, you know? Yeah, and and from my end, I just hope that he gets another chance, and if it's not, he's had an, he's had a phenomenal career. I mean, when you look at his stats, granted I have some of them pulled up, and these are these are not up to date. These are just through May 4th, so it's a week, so got a problem with that whatever so his career batting average is 298 he has over 3,000 hits with 3,253 hits he has 667 home runs and he has 2,100 plus RBIs now I, I think one of the things that we always kind of remember about Albert Pujols was that he was a great power hitter especially when he was in his prime playing with the St. Louis Cardinals but he never sacrificed that just for hitting home runs. Like he never sacrificed his batting just to hit home runs. When you got a, almost a 300 career batting average, that shows me consistency and the ability to really place the ball in some nice spots rather than just hitting freaking 350, 400 foot plus bombs every game or every other game. In, in, in which he relatively did often but <laughs> but the fact that he was able to do that and still be a great you know just contact hitter oh, that's yeah. a that's a big thing and hopefully i i, I want to see albert pools contribute in some sort of way on a contending team whether it's in the national league or the american league i don't really care which league it is at this point just hope he gets another crack at a world series this year if he does yeah. and he ends up winning it, it would be his third title. It'd be his first one in 10 years. He got his second one with the Cardinals in, I believe, 2011. So if he goes out on a high note, I'd love to see it. Yeah, big time. First ballot Hall of Famer, no question about it. Not even not even a, a debate. Oh, yeah, for sure. No doubt. But with that said, we'll transition into our last sport of the day, which will be mostly comprised of football. So – We'll talk a little bit about DK Metcalf and his Olympic trial run this past weekend. So DK Metcalf was going up against some of the best sprinters that the USA has to offer. And in one of the trials, all pro, well, actually, actually I don't think he's all pro, but he will be at mm-hmm. some point. He will be at some oh, point. Yeah. Uh, DK Metcalf, receiver of the Seattle Seahawks, was going up against some possible Olympic runners. And granted, he finished ninth in the trials, but he ran a 10.36 in his 100-meter dash time and only finished about two-tenths of a second behind the first-place runner. Now, Kev, granted, DK Metcalf is a phenomenal receiver, a phenomenal football player, and I don't really necessarily consider him a quote-unquote sprinter or a track star in any sense of the word. But I have to get your take on what you thought that this 100-meter performance was like going up against some of the best sprinters that the USA has to offer. I mean, I, I say this jokingly, of course, but I, I say this respectfully at, at the same time. He had to have been made in, in a lab at some point in in in, in history and in the in the universe because there's no way someone that height at that body mass that fast can be 
as athletic as this man. We're talking 6'3", 6'4", 230, 240, running a 4'3", 4'4", 40-time in the NFL. And he's literally sitting here saying, yeah, you know, I'm pretty fast on the field. You know, like, why, 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 why the fuck not? Mm-hmm. I think this just shows the, the, the dual threat of, of what DK can bring to the table in, in not only football, but sports as a whole. I mean, there are a lot of two-sport athletes in, in, in sports history. But, I mean, DK being able to run with some of the fastest players or, excuse me, fastest people in the world or in the country, nonetheless – it's 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 I don't really have words for it and in all honesty like I know we prepped for this particular segment earlier but like I'm literally sitting here thinking about the proper adjective to describe him and it's literally like escaping me because it's like it's unfathomable what he can do physically like he's literally competing with the fastest people who train for this every day of their lives people that have put all the time and effort of their young adulthood into possibly becoming an Olympian. And DK Metcalf plays fucking football and he's literally running side by side with them. You literally said two tenths of a second. Everybody that follows track, granted, I do not, but everybody knows the actual time between like first and second or first and 10th isn't that much. It's, It's relatively less than a couple of seconds. I don't think people understand how fast you have to be to be within that time frame. And the fact that DK came in ninth, I don't even know what to say. We all knew the man was fast when he chased down Buda Baker in that Arizona game on a Monday night or Sunday night, whatever game that was. And that's with full pads on. This man just sprinted for the hell of it to say that he did it. And I, I think that DK Metcalf is one of the most athletic athletes I've ever seen in my life. Dude, he makes like no sense just from a physique standpoint. Because I remember when I watched him in the NFL Combine a couple of years ago when he was coming out of Ole Miss, he looked like a grown adult at like 21 years old. I, I mean, I have never seen a receiver so built and so like ready to play in the NFL just from a body perspective. Because like he weighed like 235 pounds going into the league like he already looked like he had an nfl type body ready to go on day one usually it kind of takes a couple years for a lot of these players to kind of develop into an nfl competent body with him that was never the case he was ready to go on day one and the fact that somebody at his size at 6'4 now he weighs somewhere around 240 pounds can compete against guys that are training to go to the Olympics that solely commit the, that, that solely commit their time to just being the fastest person they could be in a hundred meter sprint. You got to give a lot of credit to DK for being able to just compete with those guys. And if you actually watch the, the replay video at the first 60 meters, he was going toe to toe with the guys that ended up winning first, second and third in the trial run. And the guy that he ended up finishing behind, he only finished ninth by like, what, two, three hundredths of a second. It wasn't that big of a gap. But the fact that he could go toe-to-toe with those guys, and those guys are probably, oh, God, 
20 to 30, if not 40 pounds lighter than him. You have, it's just a testament to DK's overall athletic ability. And I'm going to be honest with you. I think he'll get faster. He's very young still. He's in his early 20s still. You give him a couple of years to maybe find another gear where he can maybe improve his time, maybe like a couple of tenths of a second. Who knows if he doesn't try this again in like three, four years from now? Dude, it wouldn't surprise me. Imagine if he cuts, because it's the offseason right now. You know what I'm saying? He doesn't have to play or report to any camps for at least another month, right? Mm-hmm. Let's say he loses 10 pounds. Just, just just, for the sake of it, right? They're professional athletes. They have that capability of diets and shit. They can drop and gain weight whenever they want. Um, and let's say he were to actually practice this for a couple of weeks as well. You know, put his efforts into track. Mm-hmm. Getting his time, getting his, his, his takeoff right, everything. I think DK can easily. If he came in ninth with barely any preparation in full football weight, imagine if you give him a couple of weeks or a month's time to prep. Who's to say he doesn't win? He was that close with no prep. Imagine he actually, I think he could legit be an Olympic sprinter if he wanted to be. Tyreek Hill, we already know Ken. Tyreek Hill's small. He has the physique. He has the, the breakaway speed. Mm-hmm. But we're talking about a man that's what, what he, we know he's not, but what looks to be double Tyreek Hill's height. And he's almost as fast. It's ridiculous. You put, D, you, you put DK next to Tyreek. There's like a, it's almost, I don't want to say it's like a foot difference, but I mean. It looks like a foot with everything that's between them. It's Tyreek is not that tall of a guy. He's got at least five, nine, five, ten. Yeah. I think DK has got at least a half foot. Six, seven. No, DK six, four. DK is only six. No, I said, I said six or seven inches. Oh yeah. 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 Yeah, That's right. But it's like I said, he could try this again in a couple of years from now. Because the Olympics are going to be the Summer Olympics are going to be held again in 2024, and let me look up DK's age real quick just so that I have it here. Because if I remember correctly, he's not. I think he's only like 20. He's got to be. He's got to be 23, 24. Yeah, he got 20, drafted three years ago. Yeah, he's 23. It's crazy that he's two Ridiculous. years older than me. It's weird. I, I have to get used to these players two, being younger. Two, than me two years younger than you. Yeah, he's younger than me. Um, oh, but we're old, Kyle. 26, bro. Back but, then. Yeah, don't don't remind me. But. The trials are going to be probably up in two to three years from now. That would put him around 25, 26 years old. Who knows? I'm just putting it out there. Putting if it he, out there. Exactly. If he wanted to, he could, if he put in a year's work to really try to make a presence in these Olympic trials for the United States, he could make it happen. That's a hundred percent sure. Hey, man, we've seen plenty of NFL athletes be two-sport freaks. Kyler Murray playing baseball. We got Deion Sanders playing baseball. Bo Jackson playing baseball. The the, the list goes on. Yep. To see a a track star, an NFL player, I I mean, there's not really contact, if any. It's just a matter of keeping your body in tip-top shape to be able to perform at top physical capacity at that level. And like I had stated, you have to lose a few pounds because that holds you back. And you just have to prep and practice and prepare yourself for the trials and tribulations that track brings. Granted, I don't know what any of those are because I never ran track, but I'm just saying I would assume there are some things you need to prepare your body for. A one-time sprint, you know, just racing, it shouldn't be that bad. But when you're training to be sprinting as fast as humanly possible every day, multiple times a day, 
I would assume there's a lot more things you have to do to prepare your body. So um, DK could do it. I mean, we, like I said, he came in ninth, so it, it's not like he can't do it. And he's in the prime of his life right now. I mean, he's yeah. probably a few years out of the full prime of his career, but in terms of youth, who's to say he can't do it? Who's to say he can't be an Olympian? It ain't me. I was actually right when I called him all pro. He is actually an all pro. He's he not first pro this year. He's not first team. He was second team. Shit. But he was, he is technically an all-pro receiver. Oh, I, shit. I, I thought My he was. DK. I thought, uh, I didn't, I didn't know that he actually got a uh, second team. I didn't, I totally I mean, forgot about that. I'm like trying to remember his numbers this year and I'm starting to think, I know he got over a thousand yards and I think he got double digit touchdowns, so it's not really a shock. Yeah. I mean, he, I mean, he's just electrifying when it comes to the Seahawks, dude. Like test tube. Yeah. He had, 83 receptions, 1,300 yards receiving, and 10 touchdowns this past season. Yep. Nope. Test tube. Anyway, um, on to the next NFL topic, which should round out the episode as a whole. The Indianapolis Colts have signed former All-Pro, uh, or should I say former Pro Bowl uh, left tackle Eric Fisher, formerly from the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, unfortunately, Eric Fisher did tear his Achilles in the AFC Championship this past season. Um, herein lies where... Herein lies my concern and frustration with the organization that I call my favorite team. Um, Eric Fisher will be on a one-year $9.4 million deal to join the Indianapolis Colts this season. Uh, based off of the reports that Kyle and I read, they don't expect him to even be available to come back until October, leaning more towards on November at the earliest. Uh, we all know that an Achilles injury can take up to a year for a full recovery. And obviously, at any position in football, you are using your feet literally every five seconds and obviously him being a lineman he is blocking up to 600 total pounds on his feet every day so um that is quite stressful for me to know that we gave a person coming off of an achilles rupture or tear uh 9.4 million dollars granted i know chris ballard's not an idiot and i would assume a lot of that is incentive based and you know recovery based they're not going to give him 9.4 fully guaranteed the complete details of the contract haven't been revealed, but I am very curious to know what that breakdown is because if he's not available until let's say November, December, that's mm -hmm. the end of the season, pending if the Indianapolis Colts, Indianapolis Colts are postseason bound, he would probably start the last three to four games of the year to mm -hmm. kind of shake that rust off yep. and be the blindside protector to Carson Wentz. Um, I don't know if that's enough time to shake rust off or prepare yourself. And again, this is all pending PT goes well, rehabilitation, the doctors, the team doctors, and all the specialists clear him to go back to full-on activity. I'm just not happy with this signing because when I saw that we were pulling him in for a visit, my mind goes, when, I, when we bring a player in for a visit, when any NFL team brings in a player for, I always see a visit as a tryout. Mm -hmm. If Eric Fisher isn't fucking physically able to, try out or you know perform his job duties why did you bring him in to talk to him you can do that over the phone you literally are going off of last year's film which granted was great film but he is now i believe in either his late 20s like right on the cusp of 30 or early 30s coming off of a fully repaired achilles injury i don't know if this was a smart acquisition i get it it's for depth i understand it's to make sure that Carson does have some form of protection at the most important time of the season. But 
You're giving the man $9.4 million. I'm not happy about that. If this was a two-year team option for $9.4 million, I would say that would make more sense because we don't know what Eric's going to produce if he does play. You know, if he comes in on the last three to four games and we make a postseason run, hell, if we go to a Super Bowl and he plays great, you give him an extension because you have that team option. If he plays great, he's going to get a fat contract at the end of this season regardless. But I'm just saying, I just there is still a high percentage chance that there could be a setback. He can re-aggravate it. He can re- We're talking about an Achilles tendon, not a sprain, not a fracture, your Achilles. And we all know the caliber of athletes that have ruptured Achilles in all of sports. Clay Thompson, Kevin Durant, and a litany of other players in all sports. Mm-hmm. And we all know that that is a grueling recovery process. And football is the most physical sport in the world. And for you to tell me you're going to get $9.4 million without even touching the field for us, it leads me to be concerned. Again, granted, Chris Ballard's not an idiot. I trust Chris Ballard completely. He has shown in the last three years of being our general manager, he not only knows how to draft, but he knows how to spend the cap and he knows how to make sure to save money where we need it. Um, in retrospect, I don't know how this helps us save because we still have to re-sign all pro guard Quentin Nelson to an extension as well as Darius Leonard and Braden Smith and some other players. So I'm just kind of looking at Ballard like, we just paid all of our rookies except for, I believe, I think we signed every rookie except for maybe two or three. Um, and we have to give those players extensions that rightfully deserve them. So what in the hell are we doing right now signing a guy that isn't going to touch the field until possibly a couple of weeks before Thanksgiving? This much money. It's a fair point. But who do the Colts currently have to protect Carson's blind spot? Our, left, our, our blind side is trash. It's, it's some guy named Davenport and, and Tunzel, not Laramie Tunzel, some, 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 some random, I don't even know, man, some scrubs. Like when people rated or people looked at their, I don't know if it was pro football focus's overall rating or something like that. We all know pro football focus is trash. But like overall at the left tackle position, the players that we signed, like I think one of the, his name is Debbie or whatever, they, they, they were at the bottom tier of, eligible players on the left tackle position at the left tackle position. So, I mean, Ballard sitting here signing dirt lickers for, for chump change to, to create depth. And then we go inside a guy with one leg. So it's like, are we trying to build a a three-legged machine or are we going to start chopping body pieces of the three of them to make one cohesive left tackle? Cause I, I, I really don't know what the hell's going on here. I mean, he was a rock for Kansas city for basically yeah. almost a decade. So yep. granted, I know coming off an Achilles injury is tough, but I will say this with Eric Fisher, I wouldn't put it past him to recover from this as quickly as he can. Uh, granted, I know this is not the same. Pl- I know this person is not the same player as Eric Fisher, but I remember Isaiah Wynn of the New England Patriots. He suffered a torn Achilles coming into his rookie year. And he has been one of the most consistent tackles that New England's had in quite some time. So I think as long as Eric Fisher stays on track with his rehabilitation process, that's probably going to put him somewhere to come back. Like you mentioned, probably in the last half of the season, maybe the last quarter of the season. And I will say this though, he could definitely add a nice veteran leadership presence to the offensive line. Granted Quentin Nelson is the standout of that offensive line, 
But having somebody like Fisher there, being able to mentor some of those younger guys, especially those guys that are going to be protecting that left side of the line for Carson for at least the first half of the season, having Fisher there can definitely be a positive impact for those players. And who knows? Could Fisher just be a depth acquisition? That's how I kind of see it. But I think once he gets cleared, he's going to be the starter. He'll be, he will be the starter at some point this season. And if the Colts end up making the playoffs this year, I think he's going to be a vital piece to how the Colts are going to be able to run the ball and pass. So I think if they definitely get him, get him back in the lineup as soon as possible, granted it's going to be, you know, probably at the earliest November, you know, maybe the latest December. I, I, I highly doubt that he's going to miss the entire season. I just, I gr- granted, I know Achilles injuries take a long time to recover from, but I'd be surprised if he doesn't play this season. And it tells me that the reason why Chris Ballard signed him was because he expects Fisher to be ready at least with some games left in the regular season. That's just how I kind of see it. I can only hope, you know, like we know that this, not we, I know that this draft would probably be one of the weirdest draft classes that the Colts have had in the last three or four years, just because, we knew we had some players to, or, or some positions to address and we didn't necessarily address them completely. Mm-hmm. Um, we needed a left tackle. We drafted one tackle. We needed a wide receiver. We drafted one wide receiver. Um, we did address the pass rush situation, which was good with our first two picks. We did draft, I believe, another tackle or defensive tackle or defensive lineman later in the draft as well. Um, we drafted another quarterback, the guy out of Texas, and we also drafted a tight end out of a SMU to kind of do that, that, that Jack Doyle. I mean, not Jack Doyle, to replace Trey Burton with the uh, athleticism and his catch radius. I believe his skill set is kind of similar to his, but obviously at a rookie price. Um, again, it, it's, again, it's just a weird draft class. We didn't address everything we needed, but we did address certain things. And we did sign those the scrubs at left tackle. So maybe we, we get lucky and one of them wake up and realize that, yo, we can win a Super Bowl. Please step the fuck up. I have no hopes for them, but the Fisher signing itself. I mean, only time will tell. That's literally all we can do and hope that his rehab has absolutely far as no setbacks and that he comes back healthy and strong and ready to protect Carson Wentz. Because if Carson is getting a beating on the left side, because of those two numbskulls that Ballard signed, I don't know how well we're going to be doing in that point of the season when we get to Eric Fisher coming back, because if Carson starts running for his life again, or if Carson starts taking a beating like he did in Philly, you might see another relapse of last season. So I can only hope that we find some better protection or that Eric Fisher comes back 100% healthy before Christmas, or should I say before Thanksgiving? Fair enough. And before we wrap up, before we wrap up this episode, you guys, I do want to take some time to congratulate Russell Westbrook. He has officially passed Oscar Robinson for the all-time NBA triple-double record. He just secured his 182nd career triple-double. Currently, as it stands, he has 23 points, 17 assists, and 10 rebounds. They are playing the Atlanta Hawks right now, but I think the Hawks look like they're about to win this game. So, excuse me. Really? Yeah, Atlanta's up by seven with about five minutes left in the fourth quarter. But still some time left to be played. But What's yeah. Bradley have? Bradley has 
Bradley's not playing this game. Ah, that's why. Oh, the hamstring. He did get hurt. I forgot. Yeah. Oh, shit. Our whole prediction might fall apart. We don't know how long Bradley's out. It's his hamstring. We'll see. We'll see. Damn. <laughs> Sorry, but, guys. I, I guess I missed that part. I forgot. But Russ has 23, 18, and 10. I'm sorry. He did get one more assist. So Holy he's damn shit, near man. he's damn near a 20 assist in this game. History, guys. History, guys. History. Yeah, yeah this dude is just unbelievable. I know we talked about him a lot in the, in the podcast, but I just wanted to take some time to address that that moment because that's a that's quite a feat. I think the second yeah. closest player actively is LeBron James with 99. So basically Russ has him doubled in that sense. Yeah. Insane. Insane. But kudos to him, man. History, it's a record nobody thought would be beaten. And Russell still has at least another four or five years in this league, whether or not at an averaging triple-double pace, he can still accumulate triple-doubles throughout the entireness of his career. I'd probably say he ends around 250, if I had to make a guess, around yeah, that area. Oh, who knows? I mean, depending on how many triple-doubles he gets in the next couple of years. I mean, if he's getting like 30, 40-plus in a season, you could be talking closer to 300. He's still got a long way to we'll go. See. He's yep. got a long like, way to go. Pending, but pending injuries know. and a lot of things. 250 seems like a pretty pretty good mark when it's all reasonable exactly yeah. you know just in case he has a decline or at any point in time he's, yeah. he's not getting him as consistent you know but he's still got a lot left in the tank oh yeah that man doesn't stop running he's the Never. walking energizer bunny exactly but with that said you guys that'll pretty much wrap it up from here i want to thank you guys for tuning into the episode i know we only did one episode last week because i took my vacation but we will be back with two episodes this week, this one being the first one. We'll see what happens when it comes to the topics that we'll discuss. Obviously, we'll keep an eye on everything that's going on across the sports world. But, Kev, before we wrap this up, just um, did you want to hit, hit on anything? Uh, just the usual. You know, thank you guys for all the support. Still sitting at a steady 154 subscribers. Um, shout out to my man, Vince. I don't know if I mentioned it last podcast or not. I forgot. Um went into his Twitch stream. He kind of gifted us some, some of his, uh, his subscribers to come and subscribe to our YouTube channel. So to any of you that are watching, thank you for your subscriptions. We really, really do appreciate all and any support. Um, we may or may not transition into kind of a, kind of a different off topic. Kyle and I had some ideas and spitballing. I'm not going to ruin it for anybody, but we were thinking about doing something just outside of the sports realm. Um, something that more along the lines of our personal interests that might, you know, pique the interest of other people to come and watch or come and listen. Um, so stay tuned. Kyle and I are definitely multifaceted, well-rounded enough to come out there and give you guys enough content. Uh, we do know that right now it is complete baseball swing. The NBA playoffs are coming up and, you know, football, we're still a long ways away from any mandatory camps or workouts. So just be prepared for the next couple of episodes to have a lot of NBA content with the playing tournament coming up within the next week or so and the NBA playoffs coming up, obviously, within the next 10 or so days, uh, and a lot, a lot, a lot of baseball content. So just be prepared. And, again, we're, we're, we're very thankful for all the support that you guys give us on all platforms, uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all that stuff. They've been averaging out around 13 to 14 listens per episode, which is a massive increase from the last two weeks. We're averaging about 10. So, I mean, to whoever is out there listening and finding us on all those platforms, thank you, thank you, thank you. We do genuinely appreciate it. And, uh, we can't wait to make more, man. The week off was was good and bad because I know I was itching. 
And I know Kyle said beforehand he was itching a little bit too to get this done and uh, just feels get back in the booth. Just needed these, I just needed this episode to get back into the groove of things. So now that I feel like I'm pretty much caught up from everything that I missed from the last couple of days when I was in New Mexico, it's gun blazing from here as far as I'm concerned. Ready to yes, go, sir. ready to go. So, but with that said, you guys, once again, we'd like to thank you just for supporting the channel or supporting the podcast in any way, shape, or form. And we will see you guys on Friday when we drop our next episode. Have a good one, guys. Mm -hmm. Take it easy, you guys. Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Deep leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric Today is working for me. Do you believe that for yourself? Hey, I'm Pastor Julie, and I want to empower you through encouragement. Inviting you to my podcast, Big Truth Encouragement, where I unpack living a faith-filled life. I created my podcast for the ladies, but gentlemen, you'll gain something too. So I invite you to listen to Big Truth Encouragement on ElectroCast and any platform where you listen to your podcast. ElectroCast.